Hello, this is Alex Granado, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with Representative Jeffrey Elmore. He represents uh, parts of Wilkes and Allegheny counties. And uh, he's here today to talk to us about a variety of things, including the upcoming special session of the General Assembly. Thank you so much for being here today. Mm, uh, thank you so much. I'm uh, happy to be here and speak with you. And uh, for those who aren't as familiar uh, with you, I'd like you to tell people a little bit about what it is you do when you're not at the General Assembly. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I'm a visual art teacher uh, in Wilkes County Public Schools, and I'm actually uh, placed at two elementary schools. I work at North Wilkesboro Elementary and Mulberry Elementary. You know, just kind of to launch into some of the controversies that people sure. are talking about, you're in a position that a lot of people are concerned about those positions going away sure. if the uh, class size restrictions that have been mandated by the General Assembly aren't addressed. You are a House member. The House did try to address it, and the Senate kind of uh, rolled back some of what you all put in your legislation. Um, tell me about what you're seeing on the ground, concerns from the school system or from teachers or even from yourself. Well, um, some of it is um, just fear of the unknown. Uh, the process that we require with the legislation that we passed was that we get uh, data f from the fall semester and spring semester on what is actually on the ground. How many classes um, do we have? How many kids are in each of the classes? To where we can make a, an informed decision on how quickly to do uh, the class size reductions uh, and a uh, clear picture on how much that would cost. And, and has any of that come in yet? Yes, we've had the first round of uh, information uh, for the fall semester and the spring semester will come out uh, mid-February. And so, um, like I said in the introduction, we're coming into a special session that starts on January 10th. Mm -hmm. From what I've heard, there's not going to be a lot of education matters discussed, but something that many advocates are asking for is that this class size issue be addressed. Sure. Ha have you heard anything about what's going to happen during the special session? I think it would be really hard for us to be able to make the informed decision that we need to without the spring uh, semester data. And then we take that information to um, see with what ways we're going to address what are called the enhancement teachers, maybe through a separate allotment uh, established specifically for them. Uh, then, too, to see how many classes we have compliant in what we're hoping to see with the law. Uh, can we leave it like it is or what adjustments we need to make? So it's kind of hard without the information. And in the schools, you do see that transition between first semester and second semester. Um, at the elementary, you don't see it as dramatic, but you do at the high school. And we're collecting class size uh, data for all of them. And I think some of the, on, on behalf of the advocates who are concerned about this, I think one of their big concerns is that, um, you know, if the General Assembly can't address this until the short session in the right. spring, that might be too late uh, or make it more difficult for schools to plan for the fall semester. What, what do you think about that? Well, you know, schools are, and school systems are in constant planning, uh, and they always want uh, things and decisions to be made two weeks ago. You know, that's just c kind of the nature of the beast. Um, the school systems are aware of uh, the process that we're going through, uh, and, I mean, once we get the information, uh, we can be able to make the decision. And uh, what about other issues? Do you uh, foresee any other education issues coming up during the special session? The the short one coming up? Yeah. Uh, probably not. Probably not. 
Um, and uh, obviously, we had the long, the last session was the long session, sure. and there were lots of items that came out of that education related. When you look back at that session, what are some of the big education issues that you see as accomplishments, as maybe missed opportunities, kind of the whole spectrum? Well, um, you know, we've had a, a big focus on compensation. Uh, how do we need to compensate our teachers? Uh, we need to increase the compensation. We've been trying to address that. And the big, uh, the biggest change we had from the long session was the beginnings of addressing administrative pay and what that means. And uh, that was probably the most revolutionary change because uh, the way the system was set up, it was basically over time, different pieces of legislation was uh, put into law dealing with compensation. And there was uh, statistically over 1,400 different ways to pay a principal. And to figure out what the principal was going to be paid from the state, they had to sit down individually and look at all of those different factors to determine. So we couldn't even really honestly tell a prospective principal what they were going to be paid. So the first step was to collapse all of that and get that streamlined uh, to where it is um, set, it's understandable what they're going to uh, be compensated. Uh, then rolling in the idea of the um, bonuses with it uh, based on the uh, performance of the school. The next step that we'll be going into is how do we try to address the uh, recruitment of quality administrators in poor areas of the state, poor and also more rural areas. And that's the next step, and how do we accomplish that? So um, the administrative compensation is a work in progress. A lot of people thought with what we did in the long session, that was it, that we would not continue to address it. But we will continue to address it just like we have with the teacher's pay. And so you think that that uh, will be a topic revisited during the short session in the spring? Yes, I do. And, and, and the question will be, uh, how do we determine a way to um, encourage recruitment for rural and poor schools, at-risk schools, to get quality administrators in there? How does that formula work? How would that be figured into the compensation? That, that will be the question with it. And uh, another question surrounding the principal pay regards the uh, hold harmless. Um, yes. For people familiar with or unfamiliar with the new schedule, basically everybody's getting a pay raise. But under the schedule, there are some principals who actually made more last year under the old schedule than they would under the new schedule. There was a hold harmless provision that basically said, okay, you get the same amount of money as you did last year. So nobody loses any money is, is the goal. A hold harmless last it lasts just for this school year. Next year goes away and people are asking that something be done to address that, either extend the hold harmless or, or find some other way to... to address the issue. Yeah, and, and I think the reason why that we put it in the budget just for the year is because this issue is going to continue to be addressed. Uh, we're going to do the next wave of um, adjustment to the administrative compensation. So at that time you would see the hold harmless provision continue uh, because the one that is worried now with the way that's structured, if we make adjustments for high poverty at-risk schools, they may not be in that situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and again, there, uh, similar to the class size restrictions, a concern on the part of some districts is if that's not addressed until the spring, there may be principals who, seeing that they may lose uh, salary next year, may choose to retire or go into a different profession or something like that. Um, is that a concern of yours? 
Well, sure. I mean, you don't want quality people to uh, to leave or to leave the profession. But um, as I said, we're addressing it and looking at uh, different ways of doing the compensation. And this was just step one. And I, uh, folks that are involved in uh, listen to Ed and C uh, know that this is a work in progress. And uh, some other issues that came out of the long session uh, last session were. Um, things related to uh, the Opportunity Scholarship Program, and, and actually is more or less a continuation of, of the General Assembly's kind of stated goal, and, and uh, you know, over time we've seen this goal of increasing the amount of funding for the program, and so that continues to increase. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, sure. Uh, when, when the program was first initiated, uh, there was a uh, basically a commitment uh, or a vision to uh, continue the funding of the program based on growth and uh, we've continued on that track since the inception of the program. And um, I, I believe that the state is in the process of uh, kind of doing an evaluation of the Opportunity Scholarship Program looking to see you know how well students in, in the private schools who go there via the Opportunity Scholarship Program are doing. Uh, how important do you think that level of accountability is for a program like this? Well, you um, accountability is always important, but the benefit of the Opportunity Scholarship is to help children that are from high-poverty situations have a choice. And um, the choice that they're making for the private school usually is because the private school is doing something that is different. So we have to be careful with the accountability measures that we do not just clone uh, what is happening and take away the flexibility and curriculum and such for the private school uh, because that is the reason why the child is making that choice based on uh, what the parent feels like the needs are for the child. And school choice is a controversial topic across North Carolina and um, there are some who are concerned that charter schools and opportunity scholarship programs are taking resources away from the traditional public school program. How do you see that issue? Well, I could see what they're saying, but actually uh, the funding follows that kid's head. So if the kid's not sitting there in the classroom, you have one less kid in the public school system that you are having to serve. So that's the way that it adjusts itself. Um, and when you talk about school choice, and as a teacher myself, teaching for 17 years, I want what's best for the child. And sometimes that may not be the public school for them. It may be homeschool. It may be a private school. It may be a charter school that is doing um, STEM, uh, and that's an interest that the child has. Something to spark to where they become lifelong learners. And in, in the discussion about this, you really have to stay focused on the kid and what's best for them. And uh, also in the long session, uh, the General Assembly revived the Teaching Fellows Program. Yes. Um, with, with some tweaks to how it was versus how yeah. it used to be. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and kind of the impetus behind bringing that back? Sure. Um, very excited. I'm a former teaching fellow myself. I was under the, uh, what you call the old model, but we, um, what we wanted to do was make it more focused because we do have uh, high needs in recruitment, especially in the sciences, technologies, math, uh, maths especially. Um, so the rework of the program is to uh, focus in on those areas. Uh, very excited about the five institutions that will be participating uh, in the program. And it's exciting to see it 
uh, back and in the form that it's in hopefully it will put some uh, very quality people into the classroom in those subject areas. So it doesn't feel like we've had a big break from the long session because there have been lots of special sessions sure. in between but there will be an official short session in the spring. Yeah. Um, do you have uh, any idea what kinds of education topics might come, come up or speculation on, on what topics you'd like to see address? Uh, sure. Uh, I think, uh, again, like we talked about earlier, the administrative pay will be looked at again. I think teacher pay uh, will be looked at again to make sure um, to see if we see any variance on the steps and uh, retention. And we always talk about retention and recruitment if we see any of the teachers falling off and adjust, adjustments made there. Uh, I think that we're going to have to look at uh, the career and college ready uh, program is the concept that um, students who have different factors at the high school actually take the remediation math course that would be required at the university or community college level at the high school. There's been some glitches in that uh, with our pilots uh, from DPI and also the community college system. I think some of those tweaks will have to be addressed uh, also in the short. Okay. And, um, you know, I want to ask you, as somebody who is a legislator who tackles education issues but also has your foot in this other world where you're actually in classrooms mm -hmm. with students, yeah. how, how does what happens here in the classroom influence uh, what you do in, when you go to the General Assembly? Oh, it, it influences very much. Um, people have wonderful ideas, but it's one thing to have an idea and then once the legislation is enacted and it filters through the bureaucracy of everything, what it looks like actually in the hallway of a school. Uh, it's, it's basically two different worlds. You see it from two different sides of the pancake, if you want to call it that. But uh, it, it, it's very interesting. And, and um, legislators will come and talk with me about an idea. And when you look at the logistics of it or, or the concept of it and the way it would filter down, I would say, guys, this just would not work at the school level. It's good in theory, but being equitable, it just would be very hard. That's interesting. So, so are your colleagues who aren't in education receptive when you when you say things like that, like this this wouldn't work in practice? Sure, sure, very much so. And and I think the um, legislators uh, as a whole are becoming um, more attuned that schools are different than what they were 40 years ago or 50 years ago um, because a, a lot of um, folks think they're education experts. I think that's true in the public because everybody goes to school. Uh, and But the experience from a person that went to school even in the 60s or the 80s is very different than some of the things and challenges that the schools are facing today. So we've talked a little bit about what the General Assembly might do in the near term, but how do you see education changing, you know, over the next few years or five years? And, and how do you see the General Assembly's uh, policy approaches to education changing in that time? Well, I, I think what we have tried doing uh, when we took the majority is that we tried focusing on the kids and the uh the folks that directly impact the children, meaning putting the focus on the kid themselves as the individual and also into the classroom versus focusing more on new programs, the bureaucracy, the department, that sort of thing. And I think over time what you're going to see because of that uh, focus is um, more opportunities of 
diversifying the education of the kids. Uh, I th some exciting things that are happening, things like the um, early college, uh, dual enrollment classes, the um, transition from the community college through uh, to the university with articulation agreements, trying to figure out ways to blend the different educational institutions, getting them communicating, getting them talking to where we um, are lowering, lowering college costs for the kids, making it easier, uh, the transition between those different levels to where they come out and they're able to have a skill and able to succeed in life. And I think you'll continue to see that type push uh, and encourage the communication between what I call the education silos, K-12, community college, and the universities. Okay. Well, Representative Elmore, thank you so much for talking with me. Yes, thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. We've been talking with Representative Jeffrey Elmore. He is a Republican representing parts of Wilkes and Allegheny County. And this is Alex Granados, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you've been listening to Ed Talk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>